I feel like this passage has a special resonance for me now that I have a three and a half year old who's a master at the dark arts of renegotiation and stalling. <laughs> who I sometimes think has been reading this passage. They might not give it to you because they're your parents, but at least because of your persistence, they will give it to you. <laughs> and it does work sometimes. In the last week or so, some of the things I've been asked for include permission to eat a strawberry before washing it, permission to eat the dessert watermelon before two bites of squash, a real jump rope, seven or eight different toys from a toy store in Guerneville that we perhaps unwisely stepped inside, <laughs> and not to have to take a bath. And I'll let you guess which ones I gave in on. It's hard when your kid asks for something, and you're not sure whether to say yes or not. I think every parent likes to be able to say yes, to make their child happy. Certainly, if Abby asked for an egg, we would never give her a scorpion. But there are times when what she asks for isn't something that would be good for her, or that wouldn't be good for her right then. And so even though she asks with an admirable persistence and boldness, there are things we have to say no to that she simply can't understand, and they hurt. Now, Scripture tells us that God is in many ways like a parent. And the metaphor of God as father, the title of God as father, is central in Christian tradition. And in the past few decades, it has come in for some well-merited criticism. Today, perhaps more than in many past eras, we're aware of how our cultures and even our languages privilege male over female, father over mother. We're aware perhaps a little more today that not everyone has a father, and that even for those who do have fathers, not everyone has a positive association with their fathers. There are those for whom father more easily means absence, or tyranny, or abuse. And so we're aware of the shortcomings of that metaphor, of that title, because no title exhaustively describes everything about God. And we are aware of the ways that God is also like a mother, and like a friend, and like many other things. As we move towards a healthier understanding of gender and power, as a society and as a church, we may be able to get back to having Father as one very important member of our repertoire of titles for God. Not the only part of the repertoire, but a central one, an important one, and one that's used by Jesus himself. And if God is like a father, or for that matter, like a mother or any kind of parent, then presumably there are some things that we might ask for that God can take delight in saying yes to right then and there. Just as I might take delight in handing Abby a strawberry hopefully a washed strawberry. <laughs> and then there may be other things we may ask for that aren't good for us, or that aren't good for us right now. And like a small child with its parents, we may be completely unable with our human capacities to comprehend why on earth something we long for so ardently 
and pray for so fervently might not be right for us. Jesus teaches his friends to pray with confidence to a parent who loves them. And he teaches them to pray with boldness and persistence. And yet in this passage, he doesn't actually say that we will be given whatever we ask for. He says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Not give whatever they ask for, but give the Holy Spirit. There's a slightly different version of this passage that appears in the Gospel of Matthew. And in that version, Jesus says, how much more will the Father give good things to those who ask him? Again, not just anything, but good things. There may be times in our lives when we pray and don't get what we want. And yet, what we do get is what we need. The gift of the Spirit. The gift of things that are truly good. Now, I want to be careful here. Because as soon as we acknowledge that perhaps God sometimes doesn't give us what we want because it isn't good for us, we run into the danger of a kind of simplistic theology that says, everything happens for a reason. And everything hap that happens to you is just what God wants for you. Many of us, when facing some kind of suffering or loss, have experienced the kind of pain that can come when a well-intentioned friend says something like, well, it must be part of God's plan for you, or God must want it this way, or even God never gives you more than you can handle. Sometimes those phrases can feel helpful, but at other times they can sting because they can carry the implication that God is the source of the bad things that are happening to you, that God is your heavenly punisher. Those who are going through a life-threatening illness or a loved one's betrayal or the death of a child or the horrors of war know that some things are just bad, not gifts in disguise, not clouds with a silver lining. There is tragedy in this world. There is evil. And Christian faith knows that. The shallow versions of Christianity that say that all is well and God's in his heaven and all is right with the world don't get to the heart of the true power of the gospel, which says that evil does exist. And evil is not God's dream for the world, and God is in the process of defeating it once and for all. That in fact that defeat has already happened once and for all in the ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. But that that victory also isn't yet complete. That we still live in a world where we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Last Wednesday morning I was at our weekly contemplative prayer group called Anamkara. And we chanted Psalm 15, which describes a righteous person <clears throat> and ends with the verse, whoever does these things shall never be overthrown. And after we chanted and sat in silence for a time, we reflected on the psalm and we wondered what that might really mean. 
Because on the surface, lots of righteous people are overthrown every day. Lots of righteous people suffer unjustly. And so we played with the psalm and talked about how perhaps we could hear it as a kind of wish, a kind of wishful psalm. Oh, that those who do these things would never be overthrown. Or we talked about how we might hear the psalm in the light of eternity. In God's ultimate justice and mercy, the righteous may indeed face tragedy, but won't be overthrown in the end. But in the end, that psalm doesn't tell us how to interpret itself. It hangs there as a question. We don't know why some of our prayers seem to be answered yes and others not. What we can know is that our prayers are heard by a God who is pure, fierce love. A God who is love fiercer and purer than that of any parent. And beyond that, a God who took on the human condition as one of us. A God, the Son of God, who taught his followers to pray boldly for their needs, their everyday needs. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Keep us away from the time of trial. And Jesus himself prayed those prayers. On the night before his arrest, Jesus prayed to be spared from his time of trial. And that prayer was heard, although not answered in the way the Son of God himself hoped for in that moment. Jesus went to the cross. The righteous man was overthrown. Until, on the third day, he wasn't. May God grant us the gift of boldness and persistence in prayer. And may we know that whatever our prayer is, it is always heard by one who loves us more than we love ourselves, more than we could ever know.